I'm a partner at the law firm of Davis, Saperstein and Solomon, and our practice is devoted entirely to personal injury, but I have taken a particular interest to cases involving a traumatic brain injury uh, for many reasons, including the fact that, as everyone in this room will agree, people outside of Kessler really don't understand traumatic brain injury. Even some neurologists don't. I can tell you with certainty that some judges don't, many attorneys don't. And I authored a book, Spring Break, A True Story of Hope and Determination, about the most significant case of, in my, of my career. But before I tell you about the case, can I just have a show of hands? How many people know about this case already? OK, so quite a few people. Then let me go through it briefly. The case is about a college student who, like our keynote speaker this morning, was having a great time in college. He was the homecoming king. He was an athlete. He was doing well academically. And then he was on vacation, and he was hit by a drunk driver as a pedestrian and he sustained a severe traumatic brain injury. His parents were asked in the middle of the night to consent to his organ donation because it didn't look like he would live for more than a couple of hours. He was at a Glasgow coma scale of three. The parents declined to consent to organ donation and they instead flew to Florida and got a room in the hospital so they could be by their son's side. The reason why the story made it to the form of a book and why I've also been asked uh, to consider making it into a movie when I met with some producers in Hollywood is because the student fortunately survived after being in a coma for almost two weeks, after having 15 surgeries and being hospitalized for over five months. And the reason why, as an attorney, I'm always so gratified to share that with audiences is because the story of the most significant case of my entire career is actually the story of me when I attended the College of New Jersey. This is my story. Anyone surprised? <laughs> I'm going to try to move this laptop up. Would you mind helping me move the laptop up? Is it, I, I need to look at my laptop. I was just thinking, perhaps you could help me, please, in moving it up. And then I'll move it. it there's no urgency to it, as long as nothing's disconnected. So that, that story, that's me running every day. But what I wanted to share with all of you, so thank you for those of you who were surprised. Our, the wo those who didn't know the story before, did you see that coming? <laughs> no, okay. I'm grateful, obviously, for my recovery. And I have a lot to say about it, and that's why I authored the book. But before I get into the reason why I'm here, which is telling you about the law, uh, I wanted to share with you the theme of my book. Because I realized early on when I was in acute care and I wasn't able to feed myself and I wasn't really able to function the way I understood I did beforehand, before this happened to me, uh, I realized that getting better was not necessarily the best goal to have. I just wanted to be successful. And while I was in the hospital, I summarized success in one word. What word do you think it is? To achieve the highest level of success, what word do you think that is? I think happiness. I think if you've achieved happiness, you've achieved the highest level of success. Because I didn't know if I would walk again. I didn't know if I'd run again. I didn't know if I'd be able to be cognitively aware again. And the literature was not very favorable. So for me, the secret to success was happiness. And what I've been doing when I authored the book and when I speak around the world about the story is I ask audiences just to take a pledge to be happy. And it's a pledge that you have to be reminded about often because of the challenges that we face when we open our eyes every single day when we wake up in the morning. So what I did is I have a keychain that's going to be given to every one of you today. And the keychain says, I pledge, and it has my website on it. And it's just to remind people in life 
that if you wake up every day and say, I'm going to be happy when I do this, or I'm going to be happy when I achieve this, you may never achieve happiness. And even if you do get to that goal, you still might not be happy. So really, the time is now to be happy. And that's what I express in Spring Break, which is available on Amazon, which with 100% of the proceeds going to charity. But for everyone in this room, if you fill out a form at our exhibit table, my office will send it to you free of charge. All we want you to put on the form is your contact information and include your zip code so that we can send you a spring break. And this is the pledge pin that I'd like to give to everybody. So, thank you. Thank you. So after this happened to me, I knew I had to be an attorney. I knew I had to go into the field of personal injury. And I wanted to focus as many cases as possible on brain injuries. And, and attorneys from throughout the country refer me their brain injury cases. Uh, many people who are already represented by an attorney, they ask me to take over the case because it involves brain injury. But when I was first in law school, I couldn't wait to get out in the state of New Jersey and to tell everybody about the laws that provide breaks for people with brain injuries, exceptions in the law that really roll out the red carpet for people with brain injuries. Well, how many people think those laws exist? <laughs> they don't. <laughs> I was disappointed to see, and now I've been practicing for 23 years, that there aren't laws out there that provide a break to people with traumatic brain injury. Now, there should be, but there aren't. But after 23 years, I've represented so many clients with TBI that I've been able to see the laws that they've come across that they have to deal with in their everyday lives. And that's what I'm going to be sharing with you today. But what I'm not going to do is I'm, going, I'm not going to put you through the boredom that I went through in law school. I'm not going to stand up here and put myself to sleep and put you asleep by just talking about the law. So instead, I'm going to fast forward you to the end of the law school when I had this really fun experience sitting for the bar exam. <laughs> Can everyone see that? OK. You're going to be taking the people's bar exam. And the people's bar exam is very much like the real bar exam, where I'm going to give you a regular, everyday scenario. Then I'm going to give you four choices as to what the law may be. I'm going to ask for a show of hands. And then I'm going to tell you what the law is. Couple of ground rules. First is, please don't take notes. The reason why you don't have to take notes is because when we're done, I'm going to give you all the answers. I don't want to give you the answers in advance because I know if I had the answers in advance, I'd want to cheat a little bit. And I don't want to put you through that, through that temptation. And the other ground rule is, please don't be embarrassed if you get a question wrong. I just want you to have fun. If you walk out today and you know something about the law that you didn't know when you came in here, I hope you found today to be a success. So before I get into the bar exam, I want to tell you a little bit about the New Jersey court system. Everyone here live in New Jersey? OK, you may have heard courts being thrown around and may not know what those courts mean and what the structure is. Every town in New Jersey has its own municipal court. Some towns share a municipal court with a nearby town. A municipal court is this the court that hears traffic tickets, hears neighbor disputes, small crimes. That's the municipal court. And you probably have driven by it dozens of times. But their jurisdiction is limited to those matters that I just expressed to you and a few others. Every single county in the state has a state court. A lot of people call it the county court in New Jersey, but it's not a county court. It's a state superior court. You probably know, by a show of hands, does everybody know where in their county their state superior court is? The state superior court is divided into different divisions. There's the family court. And ironically, the family court is where divorces are heard. And 
adoptions are in the family court as well. There's a chancery division for family matters and certain uh, estate matters. There's the criminal division for the higher crimes. When something bad happens in a town, sometimes it's heard by a town, but if it's really a serious crime, then it'll be heard by the criminal division in the state superior court. And then there's the division that I've been practicing in for my 23-year career, which is the law division. And the law division primarily is for cases involving money, primarily. And the law division is divided into different sections depending on how much money is alleged to be lost. You've probably all heard of the small claims court in New Jersey. Well, there's a small claims court, and there's also something called the special civil part. It's for amounts of damages from zero to $15,000, and I'll talk a little bit about, about that in a moment, but that's the small claims court and the special civil part. And the law division is where every single personal injury case is heard. That's where my entire career is devoted to. That's where there are jury trials and, and things like that, and that's what the law division is for. If someone doesn't like what happens in the state superior court, they can appeal it to the appellate division. And finally, there's the New Jersey Supreme Court, which hears the state superior court cases that went to the appellate division. And if there's another appeal, it goes to the state Supreme Court. And I just want to close this topic with talking about the federal court. We've all heard about federal court. What you may not know is that what jurisdiction you're in has nothing to do with what state you live in. Did you know that? In the, this country, this country is divided into districts, and which federal court governs your district depends on which district you're in. And when something is tried or dealt with at the federal court level, it can be appealed to a higher court. It can be appealed to the United States Supreme Court. The United States Supreme Court is only for federal cases. And the funny thing is, since I've been doing this type of work my entire career, is when I'm in court and I'm up against an inexpensive attorney and I just beat that attorney in the case and they say to me, I'm going to take this case to the Supreme Court of the United States, I just kind of chuckle because the Supreme Court would never accept a case that comes from a state court involving some sort of personal injury like a car or a motorcycle accident or a fall down or something like that. But now we're going to start with the People's Bar exam, so get ready. Can everyone hear me pretty clearly? Because if you can't see it, I'm going to read the problem to you, and then I'm going to give you four choices as to what the law may be. You live in Passaic County, and you're enjoying the People's Bar Exam at Kessler, which is located in Essex County. A fellow employee, Lucy, is from Atlantic City. She's sitting next to you and asked to borrow your new $2,000 laptop for this weekend. You reluctantly lend it to her. While Lucy is leaving Kessler, she sees the charity drives, and she donates your laptop to charity. You have no way to recover the laptop. Chances are you're pretty disappointed. It was a $2,000 laptop. So the following week, you go right to your county courthouse, which is really a state courthouse, your home county, and you want to sue Lucy for $2,000. And you really are entitled to it, if you ask me. So is the law A, the court agrees to hear your case. You live in Passaic County, and you are the victim in this situation is the law B. The court doesn't want to hear your case because you don't have a lawyer. Is the law C. The court doesn't hear your case. They don't want to hear it because you should have gone to Atlantic County and filed the lawsuit there, not in your home county. That's where Lucy, your coworker, lives. Or is the law D. You can't sue Lucy because she's your fellow employee and because she gave the laptop to charity so she's protected under the Good Samaritan Act. So. Just like the bar exam, they give you three answers that sound like the law, but only one of them is the law. How many people think it's A? 
Uh, the court agrees to hear your case. You live in Passaic County. You were the victim. Okay, good. How about B? The court doesn't want to hear your case because you went to court and you don't have a lawyer. How many people think you need a lawyer? I see a hand in the back. How about C? The court doesn't want to hear your case because you did it in your home county. You didn't go to Atlantic County. Gambled Atlantic City. How about D? You can't sue Lucy because she's your fellow employee. She gave your laptop to charity. There's something called the Good Samaritan Act. How many people think it's D? Okay. The answer, just so you know, I have more fun doing this when people get it wrong, so thank you. Because <laughs> if everybody knew it, there'd be no reason for me to really be standing here. The answer is C. The court refuses to hear your case because you should have filed the case in Atlantic County where Lucy, your coworker, lives. So briefly, uh, a resource that you need, oh, we'll also have questions at the end because it'll make it easier. Uh, with regard to the small claims part and the special civil part, there's one in every single county. You really don't need an attorney unless you're representing yourself as a corporation. But for individual cases, you really don't need an attorney. The court really does everything for you. If you go to NewJerseyCourts.gov, what they do is they have the, I'm going to be giving you a pamphlet with everything. They, they will uh, have the forms that you need to fill out. You just need to file the lawsuit in the county where the person you are suing lives. And usually the case, always the case is decided by a judge. It's not decided by a jury. And they try very hard to settle your case before it's heard by the judge. So now you get a feel for what the people's bar exam is like. We're going to move to the second one. Debbie is a registered nurse. She's in her car, and she's stopped at a red light one January morning. Behind Debbie is a police officer who is hungover due to a police department party that happened the night before. He carelessly crashes into the back of Debbie's car. Debbie, Debbie suffers a mild traumatic brain injury, broken bones. She's in the hospital for two weeks, and she can no longer work as a registered nurse. That June, Debbie goes to a lawyer because she wants to sue the police officer for her pain, for her suffering, for her losses related to the accident. So what does a lawyer tell her? Does a lawyer tell her, A, she has a case against the officer and the department. The police officer was on the job. He was negligent. He shouldn't have been on the road. And the whole reason why he had a hangover was because of the police department party. Or is the law B? She has a case against the officer only because he was breaking the law and he voluntarily drank the alcohol that was served to him. Or is the law C? He tells Debbie he doesn't even want the case because she took too long, six months, to come to his office. Just so you know, in New Jersey, there's a two-year deadline to sue. Or is the law D? Even though Debbie pays her taxes and expects her government to protect her, it is illegal to sue the same state that one lives in. Okay, how many people think it's A? She's got a great case. How about B? She can only sue the officer, not the department. Good. How about C? He doesn't even want to hear the case because she took too long, one hand. How about D? Even though Debbie pays her taxes, she wants the government to protect her, you can't sue the same state that you live in. How many people think it's D? Just one hand? The answer is, you know what? For this program next year, I'm going to have a drum roll. The answer is C. The lawyer tells Debbie he isn't interested in the case because she took too long, six, long, six months to come to his office, even though New Jersey has a two-year de two deadline to sue. Title 59 is known as the New Jersey Tort Claims Act. Every lawyer who does what I do, when they hear Title 59, we kind of roll our eyes because that's the law and series of laws that protects the state of New Jersey. It isn't easy to sue the state of New Jersey, and we do it all the time. And when I say the state of New Jersey, I mean any government entity associated with the state of New Jersey. A town, a school board, a police department. One little trap in the law is that if you have a claim against the state of New Jersey, 
unless it involves civil rights or something like that, but maybe it's a damages claim where an officer or someone from the school accidentally broke something uh, that you have a right to bring a claim against them for, you have up to two years to sue them, providing within the first 90 days you serve them with a written notice of claim. What breaks our hearts as attorneys, and we get some very sad cases where people come to us, but it's more than 90 days. And we tell them, look, we're gonna try to file a late notice of claim. We're allowed to do that within the first year. But 99% of the time, the court says, no, 90 days, that is the rule. So I see a lot of you probably didn't know that. So I'm glad you're walking away with that resource. And again, you don't have to write it down. We're going to be giving you all the answers uh, at the end of the people's bar exam. You are a physical therapist at a medical health facility called Walk Right Center. Isn't that a chain in New Jersey? <laughs> One day, you're with a patient on a wheelchair and you are suddenly distracted by a beautiful doctor you've had your eye on. You accidentally, you accidentally cause your patient to be thrown from the wheelchair, causing her injuries. <laughs> One year later, though, you're working for a different facility and you receive a letter from a law firm that you're going to be sued. And you think to yourself, can I, can I really be sued? Is the law A? You have nothing to worry about. You are an employee at a facility which you don't even own, so you can't be sued. Walk right center, they can be sued. Or is it B? You have nothing to worry about, as everybody knows accidents can happen, and the doctor was very pretty. <laughs> is the law C? You can be sued and be personally liable for the patient's injury. Or is the law D? Only the doctor who you wave to can be sued because you, you wouldn't have been hurt, she, because you wouldn't have hurt the patient if she didn't smile at you and wave at you. Plus, being that the doctor is so pretty, the doctor should know better. <laughs> so how many people think it's A? No, your, your employee, you're protected. Okay, how about B? You have nothing to worry about. Accidents can happen. I mean, it's an accident. How about C? You can be sued, and you can also be personally liable. How about D? It's really the doctor who should be sued, because she's so darn... <laughs> well, the law is... C, you can be sued and personally liable for the injury. The reason why I include this is because if you work for an employer, chances are you're covered under the employer's insurance policy. But if something goes wrong and accidents do happen, a good lawyer really is required not just to sue the company that you work for, but they're required to sue you as well. And the reason why that's important is when I speak at facilities, especially a healthcare facility, there are some employees who don't know or have forgotten that they're actually independent contractors. And whether it's working in a retail store that you work in, if you are an independent contractor, not only can you be sued, you're about the only one who can be sued. The company can still be sued, but you really will be the target. And the message and the lesson that I always have for people when I give them this hypothetical is really nowadays, whenever you're walking through life, just make sure you're insured. And if you're insured, you're protected. And if you're an independent contractor in any capacity, even a small business that you have at home, insurance probably won't be that expensive. It's a small business that you have at home, but get insurance because it will protect you. Not just from if you lose a potential claim or lawsuit, but just the expense and the headache and the heartache alone of being involved in a lawsuit is something that would be taken off your hands if you have insurance. 16-year-old Mark is gardening at his parents' house who have a standard New Jersey automobile insurance policy with full coverage, verbal threshold, full liability, and uninsured motorist coverage. One morning while Mark is gardening, a drunk driver drives onto his lawn and strikes him as he's planting a bed of roses. He sustains a non-displaced fracture of his left leg. After one week in the hospital and three months of physical therapy, he has a 100% full and complete recovery. 
Mark's parents want to sue on behalf of Mark for his pain and suffering, so they go to a personal injury lawyer. And here's what the personal injury lawyer says. He says the law is A, even though Mark broke his leg and was hospitalized, since he has no permanent injuries, his case is worthless. Is the law B? He has a case. The accident wasn't his fault. It was 100% the fault of a drunk driver, and he's a minor, and he had a broken bone. Is the law C? No case. Mark wasn't in a car, so he wasn't a typical pedestrian, like one who's on a street or a sidewalk. Or is the law D? None of the above. How many people think it's A? Even though this was really bad, he's got no case. No one. How about B? He's got a case because it was a drunk driver's fault, and he suffered a bone fracture. How about C? No case. He wasn't a car. He wasn't a typical pedestrian. How about D? None of the above. Just so you know, whenever you see none of the above, that's just one of those situations when I couldn't think of an alternative law to try to trick an audience. But the, <laughs> well, maybe. But the law is A. Even though Mark broke his leg and was hospitalized, since he has no permanent injuries, his case is worthless. Let me tell you why. This is really important. How many people in this room either own a car or live with a spouse or a parent who owns a car? Virtually everybody. How many people in this room knew that for every single one of you, that car insurance policy has already decided what your rights will be if you ever want to bring a lawsuit for an accident that wasn't your fault for pain and suffering? How many people knew that? Maybe three hands. Okay. How many people knew that? If you all raise your hands that you applied, so I'm sure your car is insured. How many people knew that if I were to read that policy, it would tell the state of New Jersey what you want your rights to be if you ever want to sue for pain and suffering? Did you know that? How many people knew that? Yeah, very few people. It's, it's a big trap in New Jersey law, and it applies to every single person in this room who raised their hand. Every single policy in New Jersey sends a message to the state of New Jersey that if you're ever in an accident, and you sustain injuries and you want to sue for your pain and suffering in a car accident that wasn't your fault, the first thing the court does and the insurance companies do is they look at your own car insurance policy to see whether you picked a policy that says, I have a restricted or unrestricted right to sue. It has different terminology. But if you have a restricted right to sue in your policy, you have to, be, you have, to have a permanent injury that can't get better with further treatment and it has to be proven by objective medical evidence. And if you break a bone alone, that's not enough unless the bone is so bad that the bone separates or displaced. So here's what my advice is to you. Go back home, look at your car insurance policy, see if you understand it, see if you have the coverage that you want. If you don't understand your policy, my law firm has a free service where you can call us and one of our attorneys will gladly advise you as to the law and we will be giving you advice, but some of the advice that we'll be giving you is in some upcoming questions, so I can't tell you about it right now. <laughs> yes, sir. The, the, the drunk, the, well, the drunk, the drunk wouldn't have anyone to sue because the accident was his fault, but he hurt a little boy. Can't sue. Nope. As a matter of fact, I was in trend along with many of my fellow attorneys trying to say that the exception in the law should be if it's a drunk driver. And I won't say which uh, governor was, was in, in office at the time, but no. It doesn't matter if they're drunk. So. And the jury never even hears. Even when you have the right insurance, a jury never hears that it was a drunk driver because all the other side has to do is say, look, we admit the accident was our fault, and then juries don't even know that a drunk driver is who caused the accident. Yes? In New York? Uh, New, York has a, New York applies a threshold to everybody. So, and that's the difference. So everybody, no matter what. In New Jersey, if the accident was caused by a commercial vehicle or if the accident was caused by a driver who wasn't insured by an insurance company in the state of New Jersey, 
um, then that limitation does not apply. And again, the handout that I'm giving you will, will have those answers. And we'll have questions later as well. Dolly. I like to pick names that I'm hoping no one in the room has. Is anyone in the room named Dolly? Okay, good. <laughs> I just don't want people to personalize these terrible, these terrible incidents. Dolly is involved in a very serious accident. She does have permanent injuries. She has a severe traumatic brain injury and she's hospitalized. But Dolly wants to obtain a recovery against the other driver for her lost wages, for her disability, for her pain and suffering. So she's got a case. She's got the right insurance. Uh, that limitation that I told you about doesn't account for economic losses. But Dolly soon learns that the other driver who caused the accident doesn't have insurance and is poor. Dolly can't believe that she's not going to get any monetary recovery for everything that she's been through. So what are Dolly's rights? Are they A, since the other driver had no insurance and was poor, Dolly's not going to get anything for her pain and suffering and all her losses. Is the law B, since Dolly's car insurance already paid out its maximum $250,000 of medical bills, she can't get anything more from any car insurance. Is it C, her own car insurance may provide money damages for her pain and suffering and other losses. Or is the law D, since New Jersey has a TBI fund, a recipient is not entitled to sue for disability or pain and suffering related to a traumatic brain injury. So how many people think it's A? Really nothing. She's, she's, she's not going to get a recovery for any of her losses because the other driver didn't have anything. Okay, I see some hands. How about B? She already got the maximum 250 pips, so she can't ask for more even if it's for her pain and suffering. I see some hands. How about C? Maybe her own car insurance provides some coverage. How about D? She happened to be a TBI fund recipient, so she's automatically not entitled to bring a lawsuit. I see a couple hands for D. Well, the answer is C. Dolly's own car insurance may provide money damage for her pain, suffering, and other losses. Here's why I include this problem or this hypothetical. Because, ironically and unfortunately, so many of the very serious car crash, car accident, motorcycle accident cases that we get, we have people who are in an accident caused by a driver who has little or no insurance. And the only opportunity to protect yourself is when you renew your car insurance policy and get the maximum amount of uninsured, underinsured motorist coverage. It's not expensive. And what that does is your own car insurance policy actually stands in the shoes of the wrongdoer and provides coverage over and above what the person who caused the accident had on their policy. So my advice to you is to get the maximum amount of uninsured motorist coverage. Let's talk about Charlie. Any Charlies in the room? Okay. Hi, Charlie. Okay. Charlie is a successful accountant and has been renting the same apartment for many years and his rent is $1,700 per month. Unfortunately, Charlie has a traumatic brain injury. He's permanently disabled, but he's approved for Social Security, which is his only source of income, and it's much, and, uh, it's much less than what he was earning before his traumatic brain injury. But now Charlie can't afford to pay his rent, and he can only pay his rent, uh, his landlord, $1,600 per month, which is $100 less. After three months of getting $100 less, his landlord finally goes to court to try to evict him because he's paying $100 too little per month. Is the law A, since Charlie, he's been qualified for federal social security disability, the federal law requires a landlord to accept his $100 lower rent payment and he cannot be evicted. Remember, it's only $100. Or is it B, being that the rent is $1,700 per month, Charlie's $1,600 rent payment isn't enough and he can be evicted is the law C. Because he sustained the traumatic brain injury while he was attended in the same apartment, he's grandfathered in and the landlord must accept the $1,600 rent as payment in full. Or is the law D. 
since Charlie qualifies for New Jersey's TBI fund, New Jersey does not permit his landlord to evict him. How many people think it's A? It's federal Social Security. Landlord's got accepted. I see some hands. How about B? Not enough. He's going to be evicted. How about C? He's grandfathered in because he had the traumatic brain injury while he was a tenant. How about D? He's a recipient of the TBI fund. The law is B. Since his rent is $1,700 per month, Charlie's $1,600 rent payment is insufficient and he can be evicted. The reason why I include this is because I've represented hundreds, thousands of people with traumatic brain injuries and sadly they can't earn the same income that they could before. And even though they may have a good relationship with their landlord, I found many landlords who don't necessarily have the compassion to accept a lower rent and they start getting eviction notices and I cannot imagine the terror that someone feels when they get a notice like that. And then people will call me or they'll email me and they say, look, I'm going to apply for a hardship stay. In New Jersey, people who have a hardship can apply for a hardship stay with the court, but the only way you get to even appear in court to request that hardship pay stay is by paying all of your unpaid rent in full. And once you do that, and many times people don't have the means to do that, only under those circumstances will the court grant a hardship stay. And typically a hardship stay is just for a few months to try to get you to find a lower uh, cost uh, residence to live in. Are you suing? What do I have until 2.15 or a little later? 2.15, okay, I'm going to be speaking just a little bit quicker. Any Dawns in the room? I use the name Dawn because that's my wife's name, so I figured I was safe. Okay, Dawn works for an employer that owns the building and parking lot around it, and New Jersey law requires her employer to clear ice on their property. One winter, there was ice on her employer's parking lot, and Dawn's co-employee maintenance staff were in charge of clearing the ice, but they rarely did because it was more fun to ice skate and have snowball fights. Dawn's employer actually knew that the maintenance staff was negligent and they just ignored it. They didn't do anything. But one day while Dawn was working, she went back to her car to get a briefcase and she slipped and fell and she hit her head and she had serious injuries and she consults with a personal injury lawyer. Does the lawyer tell her, A, Dawn can sue her employer and employee maintenance staff due to their negligence in not clearing the ice in direct violation of New Jersey law. There's a law that was right on target. Is it law B? Dawn can only sue her employer but not the maintenance staff because they are her co-employees. Is the law C? Dawn can only sue her, sue her co-employee maintenance staff because it was their specific responsibility to remove the ice and instead they skated and had snowball fights. Or is the law D? Dawn can't sue her employer or her maintenance staff. How many people think it's A? They broke the law, there's a lawsuit. How about B? Only sue her employer. How about C? She can only sue her co-workers. How about D? She can't sue either one. The law is D. Dawn can't sue either her employer or her co-employee maintenance staff. Let me tell you why, and this sometimes puts people at ease. In New Jersey, if your employer is negligent and you get hurt, even if they say they screwed up, you cannot sue your employer. You can't. That is the law. That's the law in most states, but definitely in New Jersey. You're only entitled to workers' compensation benefits. Workers' compensation doesn't really look into whose fault it was, even if it was your own fault. But if you're entitled to workers' compensation benefits, what you get is you get paid two-thirds of the salary that you're losing. You don't get paid overtime, and it's not taxable, so it's almost like being paid in full. 100% of your medical bills are covered, but only through providers that are authorized by your workers' compensation carrier. And here's something that a lot of people don't know. And if you, don't, if you have a pending workers' compensation claim and you don't know this, or if you have a workers' compensation claim where a bill or claim was paid in the past two years, there's a third element to every claim you're entitled to a fixed sum of money. 
We know that because we have a workers' compensation department. So many people who either consult with lawyers who don't do this or don't go to a lawyer at all feel like they've gotten the most they could get out of the claim. And it doesn't come from the employer, it comes from the employer's insurance policy because they receive their wages and they receive payment for their medical bills. Please know that there's a third element of every single claim. Our workers' compensation lawyer goes to court throughout the state every single day because every workers' compensation claim recipient is also entitled to a recovery that's a fixed sum of money that's determined by state law. So good to know. New Jersey has a, New Jersey law states that it's illegal to operate a motor vehicle with a blood alcohol content of 0 0.08 or more. That's actually the law in every single state. Faith, who, anyone named Faith in here? Okay. Faith, who previously sustained a traumatic brain injury, was stopped at a red light. A police officer approached her, smelled alcohol on her breath, performed a breathalyzer test, and arrested her for having a 0 0.09 blood alcohol content. It was just a little bit over the legal limit. But Faith was arrested and charged with driving while intoxicated. Is the law A, Faith is innocent of driving while intoxicated because she was correctly stopped at a red light and she was not driving improperly when the officer approached her. Is the law B, Faith has what's called the TBI defense, providing her doctor can prove that the traumatic brain injury uh, impacted her decision, providing the doctor can certify under oath that it was the traumatic brain injury that really caused her to feel drunk. Or is the law C, there's no legal defense and she's guilty of drunk driving? Or is the law D, she, since Faith has drank alcohol for decades, and Faith can actually hold her own when she drinks, she didn't have any signs of being drunk, so she's innocent. So how many people think, A, she wasn't doing anything wrong? Okay, see a couple of hands, don't be shy. How about B, she just used a TBI defense in New Jersey. If a doctor certifies that it was a traumatic brain injury that led to her feeling or acting intoxicated, that she's, she's innocent. How about C, no legal defense, she's guilty. How about D? She can hold her own when she drinks, and she didn't even look drunk. So she wasn't looking or acting drunk. How many people think that just for that reason alone? Well, the law is C. No legal defense and is guilty of, of, of driving while intoxicated. My advice to people is obviously, if you're going to drink, please don't drive. And I think that's just pretty clear. And I've gotten many calls from people. I don't represent any uh, drunk, people who were drunk or who were drunk drivers for obvious reasons, because I was a victim of a drunk driver in criminal matters. Uh, but the, the law is just pretty much is 0.08 or more. Yes? I'm also a victim of drunk driving. Oh. I was on the and on the Well, if, if we could, I'm, I'm on the board of directors of Mothers Against Drunk Driving National. I'm the vice chairman of the board. So could we talk afterwards? And, and okay, okay. And you're all going to get, you're all going to get uh, that, the badge. You're also going to get a little pamphlet with the answers. It has my car in it. And, and, and perhaps you can even get more involved with, with Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And just so you know, you don't have to be a mother to be in Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Okay, I want, I want this to be a good one. So I'm going to probably go to one that's fun. Let's see. Um, how about this one? Nurse Helen works at Guaranteed to Make You Better Clinic. Isn't that a chain? Guaranteed to Make You Better. One day, Nurse Helen learns that, there's medical, that their medical waste appeared to be disposed of in illegal ways. Nurse Helen is very disturbed by her discovery because it could be dangerous to the public. She reported the discovery to the director of the clinic who she works for. Several weeks later, Nurse Helen noticed that the same problems are still occurring, so she contacted the board of medical examiners. The Board of Medical Examiners conducted an inquiry into Nurse Helen's allegations and ultimately concluded that there was no violation. 
the director of Guaranteed to Make You Better Clinic, just so you know that's a fictitious clinic in case any of you were wondering, <laughs> they fired Nurse Helen for filing the complaint in the first place. So is the law, A, Guaranteed to Make You Better Clinic will likely prevail because New Jersey is an employment at will state. It truly is, that is the law. We are employment at will in New Jersey, which means an employee can be terminated at any time for any reason or no reason at all. Is the law B, Guaranteed to Make You Better Clinic will likely prevail because the uh, BME determined, the Board of Medical Examiners determined that there was no violation, so Nurse Helen caused trouble over nothing. Is the law C, guaranteed to make you better clinic will prevail because Nurse Helen always whines and she complains and really nobody likes a whiner. Or is the law D, Nurse Helen will prevail because she reasonably believed that the guaranteed to make you better clinic was violating the law and constituted improper quality of patient care. So how many people think it's A, guaranteed to make you better, clinic will prevail? We're in employment at Will State, and we really are. You can assume that for this answer. I see some hands. How about B, the clinic's going to win because she was wrong. The, the Board of Medical Examiners determined that there was no violation, and she caused trouble over nothing. How, about, how many people think she can get fired as B? How about C, they're going to prevail because she's a whiner, and nobody likes a whiner, so guaranteed to make you a better clinic will be for that. How about D, Nurse Helen will prevail because she was reasonable when she believed that there was a violation. Okay. Well, you are correct. The answer is D, Nurse Helen will prevail because she reasonably believed that guaranteed to make you a better clinic was violating the law and constituted improper quality of patient care. I'm not suggesting, oh, thank you, I'm, I'm good, thank you. I'm not suggesting that you start complaining about your employer and looking around for all the violations that are occurring but if it's a violation that potentially could cause harm to co-employees or the public, uh, maybe you want to speak with an attorney first to find out the right way to tiptoe about making the complaint. But you can make the complaint, and there won't be any uh, ramifications, and you certainly won't be properly fired. And if you do lose your job, you do have a claim against your employer for those circumstances. I want to get to a fun one. Oh, here, this is good. Muffy. Anyone here own a dog? Isn't that a cute dog? You've owned your poodle, Muffy, for eight years. Muffy has always been the most affectionate and friendly dog. She's never bit anybody. She's never jumped on or attacked anybody. She even sleeps with your kids in their bed every single night. One day while you're walking Muffy and you're using a leash in a park, a man walks up to Muffy, points to Muffy, and says, you're a mean and ugly dog. So Muffy bites the man on his finger and he needs a surgery. The man sues you for the medical bills and pain and suffering related to the dog bite. Is the law A? You're probably not liable because Muffy's never bitten or jumped on anyone before. Essentially, in New Jersey, you're entitled to one free bite. <laughs> Is the law B? You're not liable because the man in the park had no business to being so mean to your sweet dog. Is the law C? You're liable. It's your dog and it bit the man. Or is the law D? The man can only sue Muffy. And since dogs don't, <laughs> dogs don't have assets or insurance, the man's not going to get anything. How many people think it's A? Uh, you're not liable. No, Muffy's just the sweetest dog. Never, never happened before. Come on, no one thinks it's A? It is a law in some states. How about B? You're not liable because he was so mean to your sweet dog. How about C? It was your dog and it bit. Okay. How about D? He only has a claim or a lawsuit against Muffy. Okay, you're right. The answer is C. There is a law in New Jersey that says if your dog bites someone, you're strictly liable. I'm now setting you up for the next one. Same facts as the previous question, except this time Muffy didn't bite the man. Instead, as the man walked by, he gave Muffy a big smile. And for no reason, Muffy jumped on his face and scratched it. And the man had a big scar because of that scratch. How many people think the law is? Now, remember, there's no bite. There's a scratch. You probably are not liable unless you were careless in supervising Muffy. How about B? You're not liable because Muffy is way too cute. 
that is a real dog, by the way. <laughs> how about C? You are liable because as Muffy is your dog and it jumped on a stranger. Or how about D? None of the above. So how many people think it's A? You're, not, you're only liable if you did something wrong. Nobody? How about B? You're not liable because Muffy's so darn cute. We have a cute law in New Jersey. No? How about C? You're liable because it's your dog and it bit a stranger. How about D? None of the above. The answer is A. You're probably not liable unless you're careless in supervising Muffy. In New Jersey, there is a law only about dog bites. If your dog bites somebody, you're liable. If anything else happens, the lawyer or the person who's injured has to prove that you did something wrong in supervising your dog. I actually had a case that I won this month involving my client who is 19 years old who is at a schoolmate's house and the kinkajou of the schoolmate suddenly jumped on my client's face and bit and scratched it. I know you're thinking, what the heck is a kinkajou, right? Because <laughs> that's what I thought when I got the case. Like, what the heck is a kinkajou? It's kind of cute. It looks like a monkey, but it's from the raccoon family. Every lawyer I talked about in this case, they said, what a great case. You don't even have to prove it was the owner's fault. I said, not true. That law only applies to dog bites. I had to find an expert on kinkajous, and I actually found one. There's one in Rockland County, New York, and he was prepared to testify and did a report on, as why kinkajous are dangerous, and I ultimately won the case. But you're only liable, strictly liable, if your dog actually bites someone. Anything else, you would have had to do something wrong. Let's see. Uh, how much bonus time do I get? <laughs> huh? Oh, okay. I don't want to take away from Nancy. Oh, no, no. I, I, <laughs> are you sure, Nancy? All right, let me just, this will be my last one. Okay, okay. <laughs> you held a surprise 40th birthday party for your sister who doesn't live with you. At the party, you served alcoholic and non-alcoholic beverages. One of your guests, Charlie, was the life of the party. He was telling great jokes, was drinking a lot of alcohol, and he looked drunk. You also knew Charlie was previously diagnosed as an alcoholic. Charlie left the party, he caused a car accident, and he injured a child in another car. It was determined that Charlie's blood alcohol content was 0.24, which is three times the legal limit, and now you worry that you may be sued because of what happened to the child. Is the law A, the child has no case, you weren't the one driving, you only hosted the party. Charlie, the drunk, he has a case against you because you should have known he was an alcoholic. Is the law B, both Charlie and the child have no case against you because Charlie was an alcoholic and it's not your fault he's an alcoholic. Is the law D, the child may have a case against you or probably has a case against you because you served Charlie, he was acting drunk and you let him drive home, or is it, but Charlie has no case, or is the law D, no case by you against anyone because you were also serving non-alcoholic beverages and the party was for your sister, not for you. How many people think it's A, no case? Because you weren't the one driving, you only hosted the party. Charlie, though, he's the one who was the wrongdoer. How about B? Both Charlie and the child have no case against you because Charlie's an alcoholic and that's not your fault. How about C? Probably. Yep. How about D? No case by you, against you by anyone because you were correctly serving non-alcoholic beverages at the party. Okay. Right. Well, the law is the child probably has a case against you because you served Charlie, he was acting drunk, and you let him drive home. Charlie has no case. I just have to get this law... In, in your hands, uh, I definitely want to close with it because it's an important law that most judges don't understand until a lawyer who does what I do brings it to their attention. In New Jersey, when alcohol is served in your home, the test to determine your liability as a social host, whether you're there or not, it's enough that it's your home, is whether the person who consumed the alcohol is 21 years of age or older or under the age of 21. If alcohol is consumed by someone who's under the age of 21, you as the social host are liable for anything which reasonably had, could have occurred. Pretty much anything that goes wrong, you're liable. There have been cases in New Jersey where the under 21-year-old person went home and burned their house out down by 
accident, the social host was found to be liable. There was a case where someone who was under the age of 21 climbed a tree in the backyard and got hurt, social host was found to be liable. Car accident, the social host was liable for the under age 21 person and other people injured in accidents. When, however, the person who consumes alcohol in your home is of legal drinking age, 21 and older, it's very hard to be find, found liable. You have to knowingly serve them while they're drunk and then reasonably didn't try to stop them from drinking and driving. And then they have to drink and drive and crash into another car and injure a third party. In summary, in New Jersey, when the person who consumed the alcohol is of legal drinking age, only third parties injured in car accidents have a lawsuit against you, potentially, but it's a difficult lawsuit. Nobody else does. Um, I promise. I'm just going to have one more, okay? Because I'm going to jump to my favorite one. And this is my favorite one. And then I'll close. And is that okay, Nancy? Okay. After six years of dating your boyfriend, you told them you've decided to move on and find a man who understands commitment. One week later, your boyfriend takes you out to dinner, and just before dessert, he gets down on one knee, he proposes, and you accept. Isn't that nice? Two weeks before your wedding, all the plans are set, and you're counting the days to the big event. You even go to your fiance's house, and you surprise him. You go unannounced, because you want to go over the seating charts. But when you arrive, you see your fiance kissing another woman. To make matters worse, instead of apologizing, he breaks the engagement right then and there, and he told you to cancel the wedding. He then asks you to get the engagement ring back. You laugh and you return to your car. One week later, your now ex-fiance sues you because he wants either the engagement ring or its fair market value. Here's the law. And I know this isn't going to necessarily be practical, but it is my favorite question on this people's bar exam. <laughs> is the law A, your fiance was wrong, it was his fault the engagement was broken, therefore you are not entitled to keep the ring. Therefore you are entitled to keep the ring, excuse me. Is the law B, because it was your ex-fiance who broke off the engagement, wedding, and relationship, you're entitled to keep the ring on that basis alone. He did it. Or is the law C, since your ex-fiance gave you the ring expecting to marry you, being that the wedding is off, he gets the ring back. Or is the law D, since your ex-fiance took six years to ask you to marry him, he should have been punished for not understanding the meaning of commitment, and, you, and can't, he can't sue to get the ring back. So how many people think it's A? It was his fault, essentially. That is the law in some states. How about B? He's the one who broke the engagement, canceled the wedding. He, he did it all, so okay. How about C? He thought when he proposed that he was going to marry you. The marriage is off, so he gets the ring back. How about D? We are a commitment state. He obviously, by waiting six years, didn't understand commitment. And because he broke that commitment, he doesn't get the ring back for that reason. Well, the law is C. Since your ex-fiance gave you the ring expecting to marry you, being that the wedding is off, he gets the ring back. Just, just food for thought. New Jersey is one of only two states that I think correctly understands that an engagement ring, no matter who gives it to the other person, it's a conditional gift. And you, if the condition isn't met, i.e. if the marriage doesn't occur, the ring gets returned. But there's an exception. Please don't use this exception to your advantage. If the proposal occurs during a birthday, Christmas, Hanukkah, then it's a joint gift. And then under those circumstances, you get to keep the ring. Okay, so. I hope, I, did anyone learn something today about New Jersey law? Great, I'm glad. Uh, we have things to hand out to you as well. We also have a booth. Uh, today's Yom Kippur, so I'm not going to be staying long. I'm going to be rushing home to fast. But if you do have questions, feel free to call me or reach out to me or email me. Uh, sure, but, but thank you very much. And uh, Nancy, you're up next, so I appreciate it.